Hello and welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s? I'm Joe. And I'm Carrie. We're not professional podcasters or music critics. We are just teaching you the electric slide and talking about 80s music, so give us a break. Yeah. That would be hard to do, teach someone the electric slide just by using voice commands. Lord knows I would never in a million years be able to do it. I have no rhythm. I can't do the electric slide, even if someone was physically moving my body for right, me. grabbing behind you and lifting your arms and legs, <laughs> yes. marionette style. Have you ever tried it at a wedding reception? I'm sure I've tried it, but I hate any kind of choreographed or group dance. I hate line dancing. I hate the electric slide. I even hate the hokey pokey or the chicken dance. Old school. Wow. Things have changed in the world of synchronized dances. Have you done the wobble? (laughs) No, I've not done the wobble. Have you seen it? Have you heard of it? I'm thinking of something that I think might be the wobble, but I'm not sure whether or not it is. The cha-cha slide? What is that called? What's the name of that one? Now slide to the left. Yeah, that's the cha-cha slide. Well, with that aside, welcome, (laughs) Carrie. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Everyone's like, what is happening? Just wait. (laughs) Welcome to you. Welcome to any new listeners and loyal listeners. We found some in Glenside, Pennsylvania, Farmington, New Mexico, and Rome, Italy. Ooh la la. Right? Yeah, hello to all those folks. And everyone can catch up with us on our Facebook, facebook.com slash HRT80S, and our Twitter. Oh, I forgot Oh my gosh, Carrie, I forgot. We did finally post the pictures of Joe in his Casey Kasem sweaters and got a lot of great response. It was fun for everyone to weigh in on um, Joe and the sweaters. I think they're all winners, but I definitely had some favorites and the um, listeners spoke out too about their favorites. Yeah, I think it was between two and four. Again, I mean, how can I describe these? Yeah. They're very 80s. Just go back and look, you'll see. Yep. Just take a look at them again and see um, what your fellow listeners thought in the comments. It was fun. And now you have to, I guess, be looking for more iconic 80s icons whose wives want to cash in on their legacy. Right. I know. That's the big question that people are asking me, too. So who gets the money and what's it for? I was like, I don't don't know. Sorry. (laughs) Anyways, Joe, we have a bunch of tidbits, so we need to jump right in. Why don't we do a tidbit sandwich? I'll start off, and then you've got one in the middle, and then I'll end. Okay, got it. So the first one is a combined one, because it's one we've talked about before. Miranda Lambert and B-52's song, which has finally been released. But yeah, Miranda Lambert's album finally dropped, and her collaboration with the B-52's, which is called Music City Queen, is on there. I listened a couple times. First impression for me was, eh, I'm not so sure about this. But then I got to tell you, the second time I listened to it, it really grew on me. So I am expecting it to only grow in my esteem as I listen to it more. Like my biggest complaint, and I think this is just a production thing in general with so many collaboration songs these days, is they just don't sound like they're together. You know what I mean? Like it's very obvious to me that they're not singing together in the same room. They're not playing off of each other, that it's just tracks that are combined. And I don't know how you get past that period, since that's the way music is basically recorded these days, different people in different places laying down their tracks. That was kind of my biggest complaint about it. What did you think? I liked it a lot. I didn't pick up on that. Although, I mean, you're absolutely right. I'm sure that they were not anywhere near each other. But I thought it was still a good mesh 
when we talked about it at first, was kind of unexpected, but I think it flows really well. They do well together. The song, like immediately, I could picture this boat in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. And they were all on it <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. And it was cute. I like it a lot. And I think Cindy and Kate sound really, really, really good, which is amazing. They used all of them very well, Fred, Cindy, and Kate. And it was fun. It's a fun song. It's got a fun story, and it made me kind of want to be on this party boat with them. And the other micro tidbit, the B-52s final tour uh announced, but nowhere near me. Yeah, I think they're going to be in Chicago, right? But um, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to see them on this final tour. I'm very skeptical of any band saying that these days. Now let's talk about, I'm changing the order. Speaking of tour, okay, you told me about a tour that was announced for a band that you love. And initially, I think you told me like, oh, it's nowhere near me. I'm not going to go. No, I said like none of the dates really work for me. I knew mm-hmm. I was going to go, but it was a matter of it was going to be complicated for me in some way or another. Ideally, I want to go to a concert on a weekend. I'm an old person. <laughs> I have to work Monday through Friday. And also just in general, in September, I have a lot of things going on. We are over Labor Day, we are traveling to the East Coast for a wedding. And then the weekend after that, I'm going back to Duluth to be with my family. My sister's coming to visit. So that's why this particular tour in September was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's clashing with everything. I can't take time off work. Blah, blah, blah. That's the long story to that. But eventually, I just decided this is my favorite band in the world. Well, one of them. And Mm -hmm. there's no way I cannot see them. So on Tuesday, September 20th, I have purchased a ticket to go see Crowded House in Chicago, which will involve me driving two hours down and then two hours back in an evening and then, you know, having to get up and go to work in the morning, which is, you know, whatever. Finally just said to myself, Carrie, you're an idiot. Like, this is your favorite band in the world. What's too, you know, driving that much to see them? Like, nothing. So that was the whole, (laughs) I've just taken everyone on a journey through my thought process around the Crowded House tour. I mean, just ideally in a perfect world, right, they would have announced a show in Milwaukee on like a Friday or Saturday night. On the Friday of a three-day weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But yeah, sometimes if it's someone you love, you just gotta bite the bullet. Yes, absolutely. I told myself I would never go to a Monday concert ever again. And I made that pact about 10 years ago. And I've been to like 10 since then. (laughs) Sometimes there are groups that are worth it. Sometimes there are groups that aren't. And Crowded Mm -hmm. House is worth it. So yeah, I think I would do it too. I've really been getting into them lately and listening to some of their earlier albums. And I sent you a little factoid yesterday. I discovered that Tim, no, Neil Finn. Mm Mm-hmm. The lead singer is singing back up on Sheryl Crow's Every Day is a Winding Road. Yeah. You know, we're talking, we say Crowded House. Crowded House is the band that's on tour. But it's really, you know, Neil Finn. And he's had such a huge career in terms of being in Split Ends. And then lots of solo stuff that he did after the band Crowded House. I'm excited. There's tons of stuff beyond Crowded House. I love Split Ends. And I love a lot of Neil Finn's solo work. And so it's going to be great. Yep. Well, good for you. That'll be a good time. Thank you. One quick thing. I'm going to have to take us to the 90s for a second. I've been rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of my favorite shows of all mm-hmm. time. 
And I was really obsessed with the character from season one and two, Jenny Calendar. And I thought, what has she done since then, right? Yeah. And in researching it, she started out as a dancer in videos. She was in Debbie Gibson's Only in My Dreams video. Oh, my goodness. Prince saw her on something, and he chose her to be a dancer when he was starting Prince in the New Power Generation. So he picked her and another woman who looked similar. He wanted to get twins, but that didn't work out. <laughs> so he picked this actress. Um, God, what is her real name? Why don't I put that in here? I have it. Robia Lamort. Yes. So he picked her and another woman who looked similar and named them Diamond and Pearl. And they were dancers in his videos for that album cycle. And they appeared on that iconic holographic album cover. Remember that one? Oh, yeah, of course. Yep. Unfortunately, when you go to look for the image online, uh, there's something about the hologram that gets lost in translation. It kind of looks not right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But that is her on the cover. And Mm -hmm. I was shocked. And then I learned she eventually became a born-again Christian. What is it about working with Prince that turns people into born-again Christians? I've got to know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it happens quite a bit. Was Prince always a Jehovah's Witness, or did he convert to that at some point in his life? Because I feel like he went through a conversion, too. I don't know. Whatever. People's religion is their own business. But <laughs> it is funny. That seems to be a common theme with people that are involved with Prince. Well, I accidentally Googled, when did Prince concert instead of convert? <laughs> And the answer was like, um, 1985 to 2015. <laughs> like, dummy. <laughs> but he converted in 2001. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, those were a fun bunch of tidbits. But we have an exciting celebration to get into in the main topic. We're going to a birthday party. Yeah, we're having a birthday bash. You know, I do this on Charlie's in every one of my regular shifts, Monday and Wednesday. I find 80s artists that are celebrating a birthday and, you know, dedicate a song to them. And I thought, well, why don't we do that on the podcast? So we're going to talk about some 80s musicians that are celebrating birthdays this whole week. Nice. Where do you find this out? I have two different sites. One is called thisdayinmusic.com, which is UK-focused. So I usually start there, but then I double-check on, um, I think it's called On This Day. Sometimes there are people listed on there that the UK ignores because they don't Mm -hmm. know about them or something. So on May 5th, Steve Stevens is celebrating his 63rd birthday. We talked about him a little bit when we came back from Cancun because he is best known as Billy Idol's guitarist. He was born Steven Schneider in Brooklyn and started playing guitar when he was just seven and had a band called Fine Maribus that recorded an album that was never released. His big break was meeting Billy Idol and working with him as Billy launched his solo career. But Steve made his mark on 80s music without Billy as well. In 1986, he played guitar on Top Gun Anthem, an instrumental that scores that movie's final scene. He won a Grammy the next year for Best Pop Instrumental Performance for that song. And he also played guitar on Dirty Diana by Michael Jackson. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. 
He always wanted to form his own group and in 1989 released an album with a band he called Steve Stevens Atomic Playboys. Here's a clip of the song Atomic Playboys. The group never released another album. Wonder why? <laughs> in 2010, he appeared on an e-reality show with his wife, but these days he's back to playing with Billy. All right, Top Gun Anthem, Joe. What did you feel when you listened to that? Did you want to put on an American flag <laughs> t-shirt? I enlisted into the Air Force. <laughs> I can't believe that within three seconds, my husband was like, oh, Top Gun, let's watch that tonight. <laughs> Like, he is obsessed with Top Gun, and it's a little bit frightening. (laughs) It's great. I mean, Steve is great. It is so jingoistic, just the music itself. When I hear it, like, yeah, I just immediately think of Top Gun and think about how silly the whole thing is. But Steve Stevens sounds great on this song. Right. Okay, so after I was done being mad at my husband, (laughs) I was like, this is Steve Stevens. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. It totally changed my whole perception of the thing. And I agree with what you said. It is kind of like, oof. Yeah. But he does a great job. And I thought, you know what? It's better than Axel F or St. Elmo's Fire or any other instrumental theme that somehow, you know, broke out into the top 40. Yeah, I'm shocked that they didn't try to cash in on Top Gun by releasing this as a single. I think this would have gotten on the charts for sure. Mm -hmm. And I cannot believe that the sequel to Top Gun is finally coming out and it's getting great reviews. Is it? Yes, I saw one that was like, absolutely one of the best of the year. This is what a blockbuster should be. Mm, Very interesting. Lady Gaga has the love theme. Oh, she does? Yep. Instead of Berlin's Take My Breath Away, Move Over, you got Lady Gaga, Hold My Hand. Interesting. Well, I can't wait to hear that. Wait, hang on. You gotta check yourself. Is it Hold My Hand or Take My Hand? Whichever, Joe. (laughs) It's fine. But you know who I like um, who's in that movie is Glenn Powell. Do you know who that is? Yes. He's so. uh, You don't like him? Was he the one in Scream Queens? Yes. Yes. It's also got Manny Jacinto. Oh, it does. Yeah. There's lots of. There's lots of young young fellas in there. Yeah. But also Miles Teller. Mm -hmm, I hate him. I do too. We'll see it. I can't wait to see the whole movie. Who's we? <laughs> everyone. Everyone will see it. <laughs> you, you're you not going to see it? I don't even think I've seen the first one all the way through. Mm. Moving away from Top Gun, what are your thoughts on Atomic Playboys? Right away from the name, I was like, I don't know, sis. And I was right. It was not good. Not good. Mm-mm. That's not shocking, no. though. It's fine for him to do his own thing, but I just really like the image of him playing with Billy. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just something about that duo. You know, when we came back from the Sands, I said in our wrap-up episode, I saw people like walking around with Steve Stevens t-shirts, and I was like, Mm -hmm. who is that? And then when we saw him play with Billy, I mean, you know, there's not enough to be said about artists like Billy Idol. He's just one of a number of different people that would be nothing without their backing bands. And it's very obvious that Steve Stevens, you know, was a huge part of his success. And so I'm glad people recognize that. And then he has his Mm -hmm. own sort of brand, which is very cool. Yeah. Carrie, also on May 5th, we've got Gary Daly of China Crisis. He's celebrating his 60th birthday. 
UK band China Crisis started as a duo of Daly and Eddie London in Liverpool in the late 70s, around the same time Echo and the Bunnymen and A Flock of Seagulls were emerging from that scene. Their biggest hit was Wishful Thinking. Released in 1983, it went to number 9 on the UK chart, and ironically has lead vocals by London as opposed to Daly, who sang the majority of the group's other songs. It's time we should talk about it There's no secrets kept in here It didn't chart in the U.S., but another song from the album, Working With Fire and Steel, did crack the U.S. dance chart, reaching number 27. The group worked with Walter Becker of Steely Dan on their next album, had a couple more top 40 U.K. hits, but faded away by the mid-90s. However, they have toured together in recent years, and Gary Daly released a solo album in 2019. Wishful thinking is one of those songs that, like, if I was like, hum me wishful thinking by China Crisis, you'd be like, what are you talking about? But when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, that one. (laughs) Yeah. I do like this one. Is this on the attic? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is the one that every time I hear this song, I get flashes of your song by Elton John. Oh, yeah. You were singing that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Especially there's this part where he says in Wishful Thinking, it's like, forget all about it or something like that. And it's almost, I think, note for note in your song when Elton John is like, uh, what is it now? (laughs) I totally forgot. (laughs) But then again, no. Yes. When Elton John's like, but then again, no. Go back and listen to the Wishful Thinking clip. It's in there. I was taking notes for the song, and I was like, oh, yeah, I like this song and that song. And then I'm like, wait, I just got him confused with, is it Red Rockers who sing China? Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I got them all mixed up. I get that mixed up, too. I do. Yeah. But this is a good one. I do like this one. Yeah. Who sings that feels like heaven? Fiction, Fiction Factory. Factory? Yep. Have we ever talked about them? No, I don't think so. I feel like they're similar to this band as well. Yeah. There was a lot of bands like this. It was funny to me to hear that they were in the same scene as Echo and the Bunnymen, because I think this song kind of reminds me a little bit, too, of Bring on the Dancing Horses by Echo and the Mm, Bunnymen, which came out around this time. Up next, we've got Stan Cullimore, born on May 6, 1962. He was the guitarist for UK band The House Martins. He and singer Paul Heaton got their start as buskers who played for Spare Change on the Street in Hull, England. And guess what? Paul Heaton is also celebrating a birthday this week on May 9th. Huzzah! (laughs) They often refer to themselves as the fourth best band in Hull. One of the bands that was supposedly better than them was Everything But The Girl. The band's lyrics often referenced both Christianity and socialist politics. In fact, the back cover of their debut album has the words, Take Jesus, Take Marx, Take Hope. All right. After recording some John Peel sessions in 1986, boy, John Peel just keeps coming Mm -hmm. up again and again, they finally broke through with their single Happy Hour. What a good place to be. Don't believe it.
It went all the way to number three in the UK. Happy hour, Joe. Thoughts? I liked it. And the House Martins, that is a name that I know I've seen. I should know them, but I don't think I've ever heard this song before. And Carrie, what is Martinizing? Is that like dry cleaning? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what it actually means, but yes, it's associated right. with okay. <laughs> No, I just had that question in my notes. I know it has really nothing to do, but I was like, I'm going to get some answers, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I love Happy Hour. It's a fun little ditty, and it's only like a little bit over two minutes, so I often mm-hmm. add it on the attic <laughs> to like the end of an hour if it's an fill hour short or something. Yeah. yeah. But you know what it reminds me of? And I'm sorry that my default is always to compare things to other artists or other songs, but it makes me think of Bare Naked Ladies. Mm. If the Bare Naked Ladies said that the House Martins were an influence on them, I'd be like, yeah, no shit. Yep. So there you mm-hmm. go. Well, the House Martins, they'd also go to number one later that same year with an acapella version of the Isley Jasper Isley song, Caravan of Love. We talked about Isley Jasper Isley in episode 136. You'll remember it was the younger Isley brothers and their brother-in-law who broke off from the Isley brothers in the mid-80s. Caravan of Love was released in 1985 as the lead single from their second album. And here's a clip of their version. It topped the U.S. R&B chart and hit number 51 on the Hot 100, but it wasn't a huge hit in the U.K. It only reached number 52. So who knows why the House Martins were so taken with it, but their version went to number one in the U.K. in early December 1986. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? The band only released one more album before breaking up in 1988. Heaton and fellow House Martin member Dave Hemingway went on to form The Beautiful South, a very successful band in the UK in the 90s. Norman Cook of the House Martins became known as Fatboy Slim and hit it big on the electronic music scene, and Stan Cullimore ran a Whole Foods store. <laughs> And then became a journalist, and he's written a number of sweet children's books. Good Amazing. For him. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. You know, I had a Fat Boy Slim t shirt in the late 90s. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I first learned about the House Spartans, is it was actually a trivia question on Trivia Workshop. On what? Trivia Workshop. Remember during the start of the pandemic? I would oh, yeah. So play Trivia Workshop all the time. Haven't been able to for quite some time. But there was a question that was related to Norman Cook being in the House Martins. And that was where I learned that. So it was very cool. That's crazy. It is crazy. But Caravan of Love, I'm not really taken with it, either the original or the acapella version. It's just kind of boring. I don't know. No, I liked the original. I thought it was really good. But then the House Martins came in and I'm like, this is some pitch perfect shit. (laughs) 
I feel like the UK was really enamored with acapella, but apparently were only two songs that went to number one that were acapella. Oh, was it one of them that Yaz covered? Yes, exactly. Which is why I was like, oh, the UK loved acapella, but those were the only two. (laughs) 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 But I don't know. It's just, yeah, I guess it's just not for me. Carrie needs instruments. I guess I do. I guess I do. I don't mind acapella. You know, if it is going to be acapella, then I want there to be um, something more happening with the voices. Moving on, our next sweet birthday baby is Anne Dudley, who was born on May 7th, 1956 in Beckingham, Kent, England. She got a master's in music at King's College in London in 1978 and started a career as a session pianist and keyboardist. That's where she met producer Trevor Horn. And while she was working with him on ABC's debut album, The Lexicon of Love, she basically became his musical partner, putting together string orchestrations and co-writing some songs. It was their work together on that ABC album that led directly to the formation of Art of Noise, which included Dudley, Horn, Gary Langan, and J.J. Jexelik, the engineer and programmer that had worked on the album. One of the first groups to craft entirely new songs using only samples, their debut single Beatbox topped the dance chart in the U.S., went to number 10 on the R&B chart, peaked at 101 on the Bubbling Under chart, and reached 92 in the U.K. Art of Noise had only one top 40 hit in the States. The song Paranoia, featuring Max Headroom, reached 34 in 1986. While still working with Art of Noise, Anne continued to do string arrangements for many albums and also moved into scoring movies. We have talked about her work on Disorderlies and Buster in the 80s. And she won an Oscar for the score for The Full Monty. She's still scoring movies and TV today. Oh, you go, Anne Dudley. Mm -hmm. I appreciated the Russian doll reference to (laughs) Sweet Birthday Baby. Did you finish it? No, I'm episode four still of season two. Mm. Um, Yeah, you know, here's my journey with Art of Noise. I hated that Max Headroom song even back in the day. Terrifying. Yes. Not into it. So always had this thing with Art of Noise where I was just like, oh, no way. But of course, they have so many great deeper hits or just stuff from the early 80s that is so cutting edge and is so amazing to hear today. Like Beatbox. Just to you hear like beatbox? this. Beatbox? I mean, I didn't like it. I don't want to like put <laughs> it on and listen to it. But when I was listening to it, was imagining like dancing to it in a club. Was it the electric slide? <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> and just was appreciative of the fact this is what people are trying to like still do today. They're still trying to capture I that kind it. of magic. And lots of people that do try to get it just never get there. And Art of Noise was doing it back in the early 80s. Mm. In my notes, I wrote down when I was listening to Beatbox, I wrote down Art of Noise. I agree with one of the words in that band name. <laughs> All right. I get it. I get it. Uh, you're right. They're going to have to work a lot harder to get me to forget paranoia. <laughs> I told you about our power going out recently. 
Yes, that's happened. I guess the last thing that I watched downstairs with you when you visited was Max Headroom. Remember? Yes. I was going to conquer my fear. Mm -hmm. Well, when the power goes out, it turns everything on in that room except the lights. Okay. So the sound system came on. The DVD menu was in, and it was like 5.30 in the morning, and my husband was downstairs, and he was like, I hear a voice. And then he's like, and it was Max Hedrum's voice, and it was coming from the dark movie room. And I was like, I would have screamed. I would have passed out probably if that was me. I do not doubt it, honestly. I do not doubt it. It is really scary to think about Max Hedrum just in general. <laughs> And then you add that other thing to it, right? Yeah, yeah. No, okay, one more thing about Art of Noise. Were they the ones that worked with Tom Jones on that? Yes. Kiss? Ugh, see? Yeah, see again. Strike two. You're right. Yep, that was another reason why I hated them so much. They made some poor choices. <laughs> okay, let me go back and listen to some of their older songs that are not those two. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. All right. Also born on May 7th is the R&B singer Thelma Houston. Houston got her start in music a little later in life. She had been married and divorced and had two children when she signed her first record deal. After that first album, she jumped to the Motown label, but never had big success until her third solo album and the song Don't Leave Me This Way. It topped the R&B chart and the Hot 100 in early 1977, but this still didn't result in continuing crossover success. She continued to hit the R&B chart, but only had one more top 40 single on the pop chart. In 1984, Thelma was now working with MCA Records, and for her 14th album, she worked with relatively new songwriting and producing duo Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis on several songs, and one of those was You Used to Hold Me So Tight. It reached number 7 on the dance chart and 13 on the R&B chart. Houston has continued to record as a solo artist since. She's also had a wonderfully varied career, appearing in many TV shows and movies, and in the mid-90s formed a gospel group with Phoebe Snow, Shaka Khan, and Cece Peniston that performed at Woodstock 94 and for the Pope. I gotta find me that footage. I know! That's Crazy. insane. Yeah. Ugh. Well, her most recent work is backing vocals on a January 2020 single from Morrissey. How did that happen? Mm -hmm. Let's put a clip in right here. I didn't know I was listening to something contemporary when this came on. Oh, really? Kind of sound like it's sort of like a throwback to like a 60s torch song. It confused me, but now I see what's happening. Yeah, the name of that song is Bobby, Don't You Think They Know. She sounds amazing on it. Yeah. 
Dave said this was the best song on the whole playlist. Oh, for this really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked it. You know what it uh, reminded me of? It reminded me of like a James Bond theme. It had that big, Interesting. epic sound, and then the lady singing like this. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> but I liked it. What about you? Used to hold me oh, so tight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I really liked that mm-hmm. one too. You know, there are songs that, like, as soon as a DJ would put them on in a club or they come on at a party, like, you immediately go to the dance floor and you're like, ah, you know, you're, like, rocking out. But, like, I can see You Used to Hold Me So Tight being the song where you're just kind of, like, you're sitting at the table or you're just, you know, standing with your friends and you just sort of slowly start to move. And then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, my God. We're doing the electric slide. (laughs) Builds inside you. That's what that song was. And I really liked it a lot. Yeah, that was great. Well, that wraps up our birthday bash. Ah, I didn't even get any cake and ice cream. (laughs) But we've got a great segment to take us out today. It is our favorite. Just a bit outside. And we're going to do the same uh, thing that we have been doing. We're going to do one from 1980 and one from 1989. So first, a note that Small Paradise by John Cougar Mellencamp is next on our list. It peaked at 87 on February 23rd, 1980. But we covered that song in episode 128 when we ranked the lowest charters of big 80s artists. So we're moving on to the next song to peak just a bit outside. And it is one I guarantee you all know and hear almost every day on an 80s station, but it did not reach the top 40. It's What I Like About You by The Romantics. What can we really say about this one? It was included on the band's debut self-titled album, which was released on January 4th, 1980. Drummer Jimmy Marinos is singing lead instead of usual vocalist Wally Palmer. Topped out at 49 on March 15th, 1980, but went all the way to number two in Australia. It didn't become truly known in popular culture until later in the decade when it suddenly became very popular in TV ads. Ironically, the Romantics had no say in that decision. They learned that their managers had been licensing their songs and keeping the profits because of an obscure clause in a contract that gave the managers that power. And of course, that led to a lawsuit that dragged on for many years. Although there have been many lineup changes over those years, the band has released music as recently as 2017 and continues to perform live. Yeah, was it in Levi's or Budweiser commercials or both? That's what I'm remembering. I know for sure it was Budweiser. That was the one that they noted. But yeah, I mean, it's been used all over. Screw those guys, right? I know. The managers. It makes me so mad. Now, Carrie, you're a lawyer. (laughs) Can we do anything as fans for like the distress of hearing about this? Oh, can we sue for like, uh, no. Emotional damages? No, I think that's pretty, Uh, we're pretty far removed from the situation. (laughs) You mean it's been too long? (laughs) That too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, what can you say about what I like about you? Although I will say, you know, when I was listening to it on the playlist, like, I don't mind it. God, I've heard it so much. 
Did you watch that Amanda Bynes no. and Jenny Garth WB show? Was that actually the theme song for the show? I think it was performed by the 2000s girl group Lilix. Oh my God, what? <laughs> I think, I think. Now don't quote me. And if I'm right, then that's real sad. Yeah. I've never seen a frame of the show, What I Like About You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Well, I can't believe it. For the first time in Just a Bit Outside, we're covering two songs I'm pretty sure everyone has heard multiple times in their life, right? That's true. You're right. Yep. Because from 1989, as you may have guessed, <laughs> it's Electric Boogie by Marcia Griffiths. Marcia Griffiths is a Jamaican singer who was a backing vocalist for Bob Marley and the Wailers in the 70s and early 80s. The song Electric Boogie was originally written and recorded by Bunny Whaler, and yes, he was the namesake and a member of the Whalers in 1976. Marsha first recorded the song in 1983, and it was a huge hit in Jamaica. Then in 1989, she included a remixed version on her album Carousel. Marsha was on tour in the summer of 1989 with the Sunsplash Tour, which was a traveling festival that featured reggae acts. A DJ in Washington, D.C. started playing the song Electric Boogie, and suddenly it became a phenomenon. And despite enduring for years as a song you hear at weddings and other celebrations, the 1989 single peaked at number 52 on the Hot 100 on January 27, 1990, and it only reached number 78 on the R&B chart. Crazy. Kraza. <sighs> yeah, I had no idea that this was like an actual song, you know? <laughs> I mean, I just thought it was like created in a lab. <laughs> For dances. Yeah. But yeah, what a wild story. I hope that she's made tons and tons of money off of it over the years. I wish there was a way for her to charge if you play it at a wedding. You should get a percentage yeah. of the wedding budget, right? For real. Although, yeah, this is one that I did not play at my wedding. I forbid it. <laughs> I guess there were no synchronized dances at your wedding. I don't remember. There definitely were not synchronized dances at my wedding. No. <laughs> but yeah, I, this is certainly not a song that I want to ever hear. But I hope Marsha Griffiths has made tons of money off of it. I don't know that I would ever want to perform it and be part of it, but I like watching it if I'm somewhere and this comes on and there's a whole crowd into it. I just think there's something really endearing about it. Oh, okay. I'll allow it. Well, that's all we've got for today, Joe. Next week, we are going to be celebrating the Cruel World Festival. Oh, yeah, that's coming up. Yeah. It's taking place on May 14th and 15th, I think, in uh, L.A. It's an amazing festival with a bunch of classic alternative acts. So next week on the podcast, we are going to be talking about some of those acts and their music. And if anyone is going to that, let us know. And that's amazing. And I wish I could be there. Anything else before we wrap it up? Just speaking of festivals... Carrie, it's bittersweet because I booked a trip to 80s in the Sand this year in October and you're not able to go, partly because of that PTO thing that you had mentioned <laughs> earlier. 
I've got a lot of big trips this year, and yeah, that's just not going to work out for me, but I am excited for you and for all of our friends that are going, and we will get a full report from you in October. Yep, maybe we should keep track of who drops off before then, right? Oh, the artists? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see yeah. what ends up <sighs> happening. It was just so dizzying, you know, last year, uh-huh. so maybe it won't be the same. You know, I think things are a little different, hopefully. Yeah, so. hopefully. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, salt over my shoulder. Yeah, I hope you finally get to see Sheena. Oh, did you see, speak, yes, Sheena, of course, and Belinda. Oh, yeah. Did you see Belinda on Instagram yesterday at all? Yes. You mean the, what, the outfit she was wearing? No, she was in a picture with Diane Warren, and they said that these two were (sighs) cooking something up in the studio. Oh, my God. I did not see that. Oh, well. Well, I'll have to look forward to that. (laughs) Yes. All right, let's close it out. That's it. Yes, you take it out. Yep. Hey, everyone. You know what? Be kind. Be kind to everyone else. Be kind to yourself. Just be kind and uh, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.